tell you that to say we're starting a three-week mini-series on, on the concept of, of mission uh, and uh, what it means to be on mission and the idea of being on mission together to prepare our hearts and minds for going into the fall and prepare all of us to be sort of strategically ready for what it means uh, to connect with our neighbors and, and connect with the people who need Jesus. And so uh, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to be in Jeremiah 29. Next week, uh, Dave Locke will be speaking in both uh, places, uh, uh, simply because next week, actually on the Sunday, on the day, is uh, is Libby and I's 23rd anniversary. So Dave will be with you in both uh, places next week. And then uh, we'll kind of have a, a back-to-school theme on the week after that. But this morning, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I'll read to you from verse 4 uh, through 7. It says this, This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I have deported, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply them. Do not decrease Pursue the well-being of the city that I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord, pray to the Lord on behalf, on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. So here's our here's our verse, uh, our passage for, for this morning. Uh, the, uh, the, the children of Israel are in, in exile. They're in exile in, in Babylon. Uh, no one ever enjoys being in, in exile, so that's the situation. And, and so God speaks to them through, through the prophet and tells them how they should behave in this exile. But this is instructive for us when we talk about what it means to live on mission in 21st century America. So, uh, those who know me real well know that one of the ways I, I refresh is, is through reading. And uh, I used to be, uh, one of the big ways I refresh is reading through, through cowboy novels. But, uh, I discovered recently, by recently I mean in the last Ten years or so, I discovered missionary biography. And missionary biography, reading the biography of missionaries, is sort of how I refresh my soul if I'm, if I'm tired or if I'm like, oh, nothing's working out. I love to read the stories of missionaries. And so, because I read those, a lot of times I, I preach to you. And when I preach to you, I talk to you about, about missionaries. So I tell you stories of, of missionaries, and I tell you uh, great and grand stories. I tell you the stories of guys like John G. Patton, he went to the New Hebrides. They told him, "Don't go. You'll be eaten by uh, you'll be eaten by cannibals." And he tells them, uh, "He doesn't care if he's eaten by cannibals. His body's going to go into the grave and rot. Either way, uh, he might as well go." He goes to the New Hebrides. Uh, he's there within the first uh, the first short time that he's there. His wife and his son die, and then uh, it's a it's a painful story, but eventually the mission breaks through. And I've, I've told you stories of William Carey who went, uh, the, the father, the grandfather of modern missions who went to India. He's there in India, I think, for, for, for seven years. He hasn't seen a convert. He gets close to finishing one of the, his chief jobs is to translate the scripture. He gets close to finishing his translation of scripture. The building that it is in burns down and he has to start his work over. But he continues on and eventually uh, the, the society of India is transformed by, by his mission. I'm talking about uh, William Borden. William Borden was a very rich, uh, rich young man who had come from a rich family. He chose to give up everything so he could go on, on, on mission. He left on mission. He was famous for saying, 
no reserves, no retreats, no regrets, as he gave up everything to go off on mission. Uh, I told you the, the story of, of, uh, of the two young missionaries who discovered that there, there was an island, uh, and on, the, on the, this island, the people were living in slavery, and there was no one sharing the gospel with them. And so these two young missionaries determined that the only way they could share the gospel with the people on this this island was to sell themselves into slavery and go to to this to this island, and uh, and, and so they they did that. They sold themselves into slavery. Their family said, "No, don't do it. Don't go." When they when they're about to sell off for for the island, their families show up and they beg them not to go, but they say, "We must." And as they they go away, one of the missionaries holds up his up his fist and he shouts may the, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering and he, and he sails off. I've told you stories of, of missionaries in China. I, I tell these stories because they, they, they touch my soul, they move me, they refresh me uh, and those are just refreshers and frankly this morning I told them quickly and poorly but if you if you read them they just they're so moving but here's here's the point I want to make. I'm going to continue to tell you tell those tell you those stories because I want you to be encouraged by them. I want you to be excited by them. But here's one of the things I know, is that in those stories, what we see is usually not the person who's going to be a missionary like we're called to be a, a missionary. Those are not usually the stories of, of our calling. So I'm not saying that some of you are not called to sail off on a ship or an hour time, fly off on an airplane to places unknown. There are still places all over the world where it is dangerous to be a missionary. In fact, one of the missionary quotes I, I read recently, considering where the gospel is already spread, was this. He said, we need to face the fact that the next generation of missionaries we send will likely come home in caskets. We need to get ready for that because the, the, the Muslim world, other places that are hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, are, are the fields where the gospel is, is most needed and missionaries are most needed. There's all kinds of unreached people groups. And yet at the same time, the reality is that God has not called most of us to that, and he's not called most of us uh, to to the kind of thing that we would tell stories about. And one of the things I want to reorient us around and reorient our minds around is this concept that just because the stories don't hit our ears and our sensibilities the same way does not mean that the mission is any less impressive, any less powerful, or any less important to the work of God. So here's here's what I mean, and I'll use our, our own kind of experience. Uh, uh, to say this is that we live in, in a world that emphasizes large, we live in a world that emphasizes uh, uh, growth, and we, we, we associate, especially in the church world, churches that are large and churches that are fast growing and churches with a big production, we, we sometimes associate that with success. And so uh, as one who's been uh, doing church planting for years, as one who trains church planters, I've read all of the... Uh, the um, literature and all of the stuff about here's how we plant a church, this is what you should do. And what I've noticed is that there seems to be this idea that, that to be successful and what's defined as success is to have this, this huge, growing, uh, mega, mega church and, and, and bless that. And people are meeting Jesus in those congregations. We're not negative on that, but yet 
what I've noticed is that every book seems to insinuate that every church is called to be that. And the reality is, is that most pastors are not called to be, to be megachurch pastors. Most pastors are not gifted to be megachurch pastors. And the majority of people who are reached in our country will not be reached through, through, through a megachurch ministry. It, it's just, it, and so, so I, I noticed that, that what people associate with success is that. And yet what I would say is success is this, is that we had a, we had a kids club here uh, this week, and uh, we were watching, Lydia was showing a video of another church's kid club, and it was it was impressive. It was just the advertisement for it, but it was like, the stage was crazy, they had all kinds of stuff, there was decorations and stuff. Hey, this is what we had. We had 17 kids. At any point, half of the 17 were crying. Um, <laughs> we had probably 17 leaders, and more than half of them were crying. Uh, so this, that's what, what we have. But here's what I noticed, that, that we have people come in from the neighborhood that we've not yet had uh, deep contact with. Actually, we've had contact with them through one of our other programs, and this was the first time coming to, to Kids Club, and that, that this mom came to, uh, with her children two out of the, the three days that we did it, and when she left on Friday, she gave to Libby a hug and thanked her for coming. And what happened then is that we made connection that allows us to develop friendship that allows us to share Jesus. And so some people would go, well, success is when you have a megachurch. I'm like, well, success is when you reach a neighbor. And so all I, I, what I'm going to say to you this morning is that I want to rearrange you from the text around this idea that God does not value the, 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 the super exciting stories more than he values the mundane stories. And sometimes I tell you exciting stories because I'm a preacher and telling boring stories seems like a bad idea, right? Or, or mundane stories. But the reality is in the work of God, what we need is more mundane missionaries than we do more stories. And so from the text, it says this. This is what the Lord, the God of armies, the God of Israel says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live and then plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives in yourselves and have find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not uh, decrease. That is a description of, of the missionary. That's a missionary description. And I'll point out to you why in a minute. But that's a missionary description from, from the text. God's telling them how to live in, in, in their culture and in their place. This is in, in the Old Testament. If you were to flip to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 is addressed to the elect exiles. If you were to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, it would tell the elect exiles how to behave in, in their culture. But essentially, uh, this, this same concept is repeated Old and New Testament. And what's happening is God is describing the job description of a missionary. And we don't think of this as the job description of the missionary because we think missionary, go to go to, to Africa. Missionary, go to Southeast Asia. Missionary, go to to uh, to someplace in the 1040 window. Uh, missionary, go to South Central LA. Missionary, go to Mott Haven in Brooklyn, most dangerous neighborhood. Mission, we think of missionaries in this way. So we think of we think of missionaries with a level of adventure which is exciting for reading and refreshing for the soul in reading, but sometimes disconnected from our reality. And so what we can start to think is, I'm not a missionary like that. I don't know how to be a missionary like that. Therefore, either I don't have to be a missionary, or we get depressed in our missionary endeavor. And what I'm saying to you is that though those stories do exist, they are exceptional. That is what makes them exciting. 
Exceptional stories are what we tell. We don't tell the stories that happen every day. And yet what really changes the world are the things that happen every day, that happen routinely, and that happen consistently. And so God's description in this case, repeated in the New Testament, description of a missionary is not someone who, 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 uh, who, is, who is a good speaker. It's not someone who, who learns five different languages. It's not someone who has to avoid being killed by, by the cannibals in, 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 in Ecuador. That's not his description in this, this text. His description of the missionary is this, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourself and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters, uh, give your daughters to men in marriage so that they might bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. <coughs> here's, here's what I'm saying. Is that sounds like a description of everyday life. In fact, you say this is how you're to live. Like essentially saying, go about your life. Do the things that you do. Be a human doing the human things that, that you do. Uh, you should have a job. Go to your job. Do it well. You should, you should take care of yourself. Plant your gardens. That's what that's about. You should have a marriage. Do your marriage well. You should have children. Do the children thing well. But essentially he's saying you are to live your life. And so the description of a missionary, uh, far from board an airplane and fly to someplace else, Learn their culture. Uh, 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 learn, learn their culture and, and share the gospel. There is rather in the culture that I have put you into. I want you to live life amongst the people I've given you to live life amongst. And as you live your life, he's going to tell us how to be a missionary. But what I want you to catch here is that the job description of a missionary sounds like the job description of a mundane, everyday person. It sounds like you and I build houses, live in them. You live in a, a house or an apartment. All those plant plant gardens and eat their, their produce. You know, be be fruitful. Do do your job. Find wives, marry. In other words, go about your your everyday life. This I, I hope as we go into this the season will reaffirm something that we're we're saying to you constantly. We say to you over and over and over, which is that every member is a missionary. Right? But when you hear that, I don't want you to think that means that, that, that you have to uh, develop, uh, hone your, your preaching skills or hone your up, up front skills or hone some sort of other skills. Some of you, I say, uh, you're a missionary and you, you freak out. You're like, well, I don't talk well in front of people. I don't, I don't sing. I don't do this. You're thinking about who you are. I want you to not hear that, but I want you to hear when you hear be a missionary in terms of a mundane, everyday job description. God has called you to be a missionary. How do you do it? By living in your life amongst the culture. It's everyday people. So whatever you do, wherever you go, whether, you, whether you're a, a teacher or a stay-at-home mom or, 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 or any other thing you do, the job description of a, of a missionary is, is much more mundane than we sometimes, sometimes preach about. So that you can hear this is that is that we could, God does continue to raise up brilliant missionaries. God continues to raise up brilliant uh, speakers. In fact, uh, one of the things going on right now around Grand Rapids is there's a, there's a crusade. Uh, the, it's a Louis Palau crusade. Uh, in Louis, it's, uh, you probably see the signs all over the city for this Louis Palau crusade. And they're going to get together, I think, at Whitecaps Park or someplace, and they're going to have a big crusade where they're going to preach and, and hopefully people will get saved. And I do hope people will get saved. But I, I just want to make this point about people like Louis Palau, who's an exceptional, God-gifted preacher. The reality is, is that there are probably a handful or less people
people from our neighborhood who are going to look at that sign and drive over to that crusade in Comstock Park, Michigan. Right? They're not going to go there. And so it's, it's not a critique of that crusade. God will use that as he uses it. But typically, the only kind of people who drive to crusades are the people who go, hey, there'll be good preaching. And look, there's these Christian artists on the bill, which is an interesting thing we do. We're, gonna, we're doing a crusade to reach non-believers. Let's get a preacher, which they don't typically listen to because they're not believers, and a bunch of Christian artists, people they've never heard of, and invite them to come see it. We can do that kind of thing, and I'm not... Degrading that exactly. Some people will show up to that. I'm sure that people will get saved from that, but the reality is, is that will do nothing to move the meter on changing our community and changing our neighborhood. And so the fact is, is that the Louisville Crusade, when it packs in, in everybody packs in, will probably fill up uh, the, 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 the baseball park at Whitecaps Park. It'll fill it up. And yet the reality is, is that none of those people sitting in that ballpark will be your neighbor. And so they're not going to hear that. He's an exceptional preacher. Your neighbor's not going to hear him. He's going to have exceptional music. Your neighbor will never hear it. He's going to do exceptional ministry. Your neighbor will never be changed by it. Right? He's an exceptional missionary. But your neighbor doesn't need an exceptional missionary. It needs you, the mundane missionary, who goes to your job, comes home, loves your husband, loves your wife, cares for their kids, and cares for them on a day-to-day, everyday basis. You are called, we are called, to the mundane work of, of being missionaries. So, build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat the produce. Find wives for yourself, have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so they might bear sons and, and, and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. And then it says, okay, now that you've done that, that's the everyday life. Now I'm going to give you some, 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 uh, some affections. Uh, God says to Jeremiah, here's, here's how I want you to direct that. Now that you're doing those things, here's what you need to do. You need to pursue the well-being of the city I deported you to. I love the word pursue because it is active. And so I don't want you to hear it. Some people would say, well, my job is to just, just do that. And so we could get too, so wrapped up in, in the fact that, of living our own life that we forget to be missionaries with living our own life. And God called you into all of that, into your job, into your marriage, into your parenting, for his glory, and so that his name might be proclaimed. And so you can't become so, um, so inwardly focused on, on those things that you forget to share the gospel. So I like the word pursue. It is active then. As a missionary, living your everyday life, you need to pursue the well-being of the city. I saw the movie uh, Mission Impossible, which I think is Mission Impossible 6. Uh, recently, one of the things they're talking about in, in Mission Impossible 6 is there's a chasing. Tom Cruise, who's 55 years old, I believe, uh, here's just a note. If you know the movie Cancun, Wilford Brimley starred in the movie Cancun. Tom, uh, Tom Cruise is currently the age that Wilford Brimley was in Cancun in the movie Mission Impossible. So Tom Cruise, our 55-year-old, that's just a free stat, our 55-year-old action star, all right? Our 55-year-old action star is chasing the bad guy. And in the movie Mission Impossible 6, there's a six-minute chasing. It takes a full six minutes of Tom Cruise just sprinting places. He sprints across bridges. He dives through a wall. He jumps onto a building. He jumped onto a building and actually broke his ankle in the shot and kept running. And there's just this pursuing scene because he's going after it. And, and it got me thinking, it's like, what does pursue look? Well, pursuing is active. Tom Cruise is a chase 
seen. And so I'd like to say this, as we live our everyday mundane lives, right, we do the stuff that we do every day, we should still be pursuing something like Tom Cruise was pursuing the bad guy. I view life like we're on, like the way we live our lives and the way we're thinking, we're like sprinting after something. It's active. We need to pursue. What are we pursuing? We're pursuing the well-being of the city. So... What do we pursue? We need to pursue the well-being of the sea, which means in your everyday life, you cannot become so inwardly focused, so focused on yourself that you think, what's best for me and what's best for, for my family? I'll be honest with you, I feel like, like this is a message much needed in, in our society, much needed in, in our, our time. I don't want to over-politicize, but it does seem to me that the evangelical culture, by and large, has in its, its public interactions and, and so forth, has very much focused on things that are, are, are self-benefiting, what would be best for us. And so if you look at, at things like... like um, uh, things like voter habits, or you look at ways in which we spend our time, these sorts of things, a lot of those things are motivated by what is best for me. And so that is natural to think what is best for me, but it is not Christian or Christ-following to think what is best for me. See, your natural state is what state from before you met Jesus, because sin what was your natural state from birth. But after Jesus has rescued you, we need to think differently. And so one of the things we do differently is we pursue the well-being of others, specifically here, pursue the well-being of the city, right? And so I'm going to, I'm going to contextualize that for, for, our, for our cause, uh, for individuals as a mission, it means pursue the well-being of your neighborhood, pursue the well-being of your community. We as a, as a congregation, because we're located here in Godwin Heights, we pursue the well-being of Godwin Heights at every turn. It's what motivates us to do things. It's why I'm on the, the school board. It's not because I love meetings. I despise meetings. It's not like because I like going to stuff. It's because we need to pursue the well-being. It's the reason we've done, we do things like, like book drives. It's the reason we get involved with the school. It's the reason we volunteer. We view these things as pursuing the well-being of the city, right? And so our call as followers of, of of Jesus as, as everyday missionaries is to pursue the well-being of the city, I would say that it, that begins with your neighborhood. Pursue the well-being of the people who live near you. Pursue the well-being of those around you. And it will, I think, in our time, in our culture, take reorientation from, from the, 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 the idea that to pursue the, uh, to pursue the idea that we pursue our own best interest. It is very American to pursue your best interest. What's best for me? How do I do that? How do I become successful? How do I maximize this? How do I maximize Very American. It's just not very Christian. That's not what God has called us to. And so how do we pursue the well-being of the city? We have to pursue the city's well-being. That means that, that as we pursue that, we, we make decisions that are not centered in self. Then we're going to come back to that idea, but I want to show you the next sentence because it's important. He says, pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Now, the Israelites are in Babylon. The Israelites don't tend to like the Babylonians. They don't tend to like the Babylonians because like every other people that Israel has encountered in its, in its existence, the Babylonians oppress them. The Babylonians mistreat them. The Babylonians lord it over them. And so the, you have here the, the Israelites, a, a racial ethnic minority, deported uh, to, 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 into a place, into a country, and into a, into a city where they're being mistreated, where, where things are not going well, uh, in, in a place where, where it's a struggle for them. And God says, 
Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. So essentially, God says, here's what I want you to do in your everyday life. I want you to pursue the well-being, of course, of the neighbors that you like, of course, of the people who are your, your friends, of course, of the people who are treating you well. Pursue their well-being, but also pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. In other words, pursue the well-being of your enemies. That's a big change, and that's, that's a big difference. That's definitely what we don't like to do. I talked to believers, in fact, I had a whole conversation yesterday with, with, a, with a believer who was making political arguments that I wasn't particularly interested in, but it was interesting because essentially every political <laughs> argument came down to, well, taxes this, or we save money like this, or I earned it like this, what if they get something for free? These sorts of ideas that, that, that reveal that a lot of us have been conditioned by our culture and by our churches, unfortunately, to be self-centered, to think of, to think of self. I sometimes hear people, you know, I just need me time. I've got to think of me. You know, I've got to put myself first. All of the, the, those things are not biblical thought processes, right? So, so when he says here to pursue the, peace, pursue the well-being of, of the city, it's radical in their time, and it's also radical in our time, especially no matter which side of any political, social, cultural divide you're on in our time, you know this, is that people who are near you are still counted as your neighbors, they're still counted as your city, and you need to pursue their well-being, whether you, disagree, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, whether you like what they have to say or whether you don't like what they have to say. Whether you think that, that what, they're, what, what they're doing is great or whether you think that it's terrible, you are called to pursue their well-being. The Israelites were deported to Babylon, right? They're, they're, they're racial, ethnic minorities, they're, they're outsiders, they're being mistreated, there's all kinds of struggle, and he says, I want you to pursue the Babylonians' well-being. Pursue your enemies' well-being. That's missionary work. And so then, our missionary work becomes a little less mundane in that sense, I guess, because it becomes more of a struggle. Right? We've done, uh, you, uh, you've done direct ministry probably in, in some way. Uh, my, my first ministry job was as a camp counselor. Uh, my daughter's doing camp counseling. Now, uh, I've done youth ministry. We all know this is that when you're doing that kind of ministry, there are people who come along that are just so easy to love. They're adorable, they're fun, they're cute. You just feel like, I'm going to pour all of my ministry into them because they are a good time and I like them. We also know that every time, especially if you're a camp counselor, children's ministry, there's people that are hard to love, right? Hard to love, which includes about 96% of all junior hires. Just statistically speaking, right? People that are hard to love. And you, right? What if, what do you go? I'm just going to do ministry to the ones I love. Well, you're not obeying this passage because you're not pursuing the, the, the peace of the city you've been deported to at that point. You're just pursuing, uh, pursuing uh, your, the, the well-being of your close neighbors, you, right? And so you're not pursuing the well-being of, of, of your enemy. There are people that it is easy to pursue their well-being, and yet the missionary call is to pursue the well-being of those where it's difficult to pursue their well-being. It is not easy when you have been deported into a place that is not your home, when you're being mistreated in a place that is not your home, when you're being lorded over in a place that is not your home, and you're still loving, you're still pursuing, you're still working on, on its behalf. So... Pursue the well-being of the city I have reported you to. So, idea number one. All of you meet the, 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 the description 
as a missionary in this passage. Idea number two, most of our mission work might seem mundane, but sometimes it's difficult because we need to pursue the well-being even of our enemies. We need to pursue the well-being of a city that we've been deported to. And then so you go, okay, well, how do I do that? Where do I start? So I know that we all like places to start. Or, alternatively, you're afraid of where I'm going to tell you to start. Because some of you are like, oh, where do I start? I'd love to do this. I can't do it. And others are like, he's going to make me talk to somebody, and I don't talk to people. Right? So I get that. But I'm not first. That's not where I'm going to go this morning. I'm going to suggest to you that you do something completely radical, something completely amazing, something completely world-changing, and it's something that you can do without talking to anybody but God. This is what it says. What's the first step in pursuing the well-being of the city? It's praying to the Lord on its behalf. And I want to start here, and we're starting here this week. There are other everyday things that, that you can do, but here's, here's where I think we, we, we miss out. It does not make sense to testify that we believe we are followers of a supernatural God, that we are followers of a God who was in the grave, dead and rose from the grave and was alive, who's supernatural, who sent the, uh, sent the Spirit, who said to his, own, uh, to his own apostle, you will receive power and then the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It does not make sense to confess it and then to go on doing ministry like we are doing it on our own and not in his power. Does that make sense? And so sometimes I think we're like, i got to do ministry and we work on it. And if you're a full-time ministry guy, I'll be honest with you, this can be a trap. You spend all day scheming. You spend all day doing stuff. You spend all day developing plans. You, you spend all day, right? You have all kinds of plans. And then you think to yourself, well, it's just like any other business. I'll execute this plan. And you go out and try and execute the plan. But here's the 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 reality is, is that if God is not in your plans, the greatest plan will not succeed. And then the same token, the plan that you think is the weakest, the plan that you think this will do nothing, if the spirit of the living God is in it, did not the spirit of the living God raise Jesus Christ from the dead? Did he not rise? Is he not alive? Did he not ascend into heaven? Did he not promise that he's coming back? Did not Jesus say that he was sending the Spirit to us? Did he not promise power? Does the Word not say that the Holy Spirit is working to, to call people and conform them to the image of the Son? Any little plan, the plan that you think won't work, if the power of the living God is in it, will be successful. And in this case, I'm defining successful in that this. God is going to draw people to himself. God's going to do the work, work of mission. And so we sometimes think that we've got to do the big things first. We need to preach. We need to gather a crowd. We need to, to have a dinner. We need to have this event. We need to have that event. We've got to do that. We think in that way. And the reality here is this. is If God is not at the center of what we're doing, we could be wasting our time. Our calling is, 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 is to be involved with the mission of God. But, but God is the one who brings the power to the mission. And so it says here... Pray to the Lord. The starting place of all mission should be real prayer. Prayer is transformative. Every major revival in um, ever has started with prayer. I was reading about, about um, a group of young missionaries, the first group of young missionaries who went from America. They were at, a, um, they were at uh, 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 some sort of teaching, some sort of seminar thing, uh, and it started to rain. And so this is... 
This was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it started to rain, and they wanted to put the rain out there, and so they hid in, in a hay bale. So they all crawled under a hay bale, and I was trying to work out in my head how they did that. I think they must have made an igloo kind of thing into the hay bale. And they went in, but inside the hay bale, they just started to pray. They prayed that God would use them. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. And from that, awakenings, great awakenings, happened, spiritual awakenings happened where, where Christianity started to spread all over the world, and a missions movement sprung from that. And if you look back, you study every, every revival. You study, for instance, the Great Awakening in, in America. You study what happened in China, where at one point in China, 1,200 people were coming to Jesus every half hour. You study what caused that to happen. It certainly wasn't rallies in a country where it's illegal to publicly proclaim the name of Jesus. What was it? It started with prayer. And we need to convince ourselves that our revivals and that our mission starts with prayer. And it is sometimes hard because we are practical, we are pragmatic, we believe that Jesus has saved us, but we can't bring our, our, our hearts to, to believe that he can do the work that he has promised without our sweat and tears. So we're like, I'm going to go do it. And he said, no, I want you to pray and watch me work, watch me do it. So we need to pray to the Lord on the city's behalf. First, so the, the idea there is that it's, it changes everything. Prayer really does, does change things, and it, and it starts that. But also, prayer changes you, right? So in as much as you begin to pray for your neighbors, and you start to regularly pray for them, you start to talk to God with them, you start to wrestle with God for them, you start to wrestle with God uh, on their behalf, it starts to change you and your affections towards them. Especially if you're asking God regularly, Lord God, might my neighbors come to see you? And I mean neighbors, whether they're next door in the larger sense. Might the people that I know, might my city be transformed by you? But as you pray that, God begins to transform your heart. He begins to transform your mind, especially if you're asking, Lord God, transform my heart in a way that I care more and more and more for the city. Sometimes the prayer we say is, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me see this city as you see this. Lord God, transform this city. As we begin to pray over the city, God begins, begins to move, right? God is sovereign. We told you from the book about it, Exodus. God does what God wants to do. However, God is always deemed and always chosen to work through means. And so he has told us to pray, and he's told us when we pray, he will act. And so the first thing we need to do is to, is to begin to pray for, to the Lord on behalf of our city. For when it thrives, it will thrive. Here's... Here's the overarching idea, guys, is that, that I think all of us are called to be missionaries to wherever we're put. You live at an address. Whatever that address is, is your first mission field. If you go to a job, that's also a mission field. If you're in a family where people don't know Jesus, that is a mission field. Wherever you are, whatever your orbit, is a mission field. You don't have to fly uh, someplace to be on mission. You don't have to take a boat to be on mission. You don't have to, have to go to another city to be on mission. Right where you are, you're called to be a missionary in everyday, everyday life. You are called to seek the to 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 seek the the um, the well-being of the city that, that you're in. And so, as you're called, as you realize that you're called, part of what we do is we look around and we we recognize struggle, we recognize hurt, and we begin to care for those those things. Remember, I told you a couple weeks ago when we were talking about love that the early Christians. Uh, not, not like in Bible times, but in the couple hundred years after, that the Christians were known for the way in which they loved others, right? So when a plague came, the plague came, and all kinds of people were dying, and no one would touch the bodies because they were afraid of disease and they were superstitious, 
the Christians would run out and they would care for the bodies of, of, of the pagan people and they would care for the sick pagan people so much so that people who hated Christianity exclaimed, I don't know how we get rid of them. They not only care for their sick and poor, they care for our sick and poor too. So what I'm saying is that once we begin to pursue the well-being of the city, it means we will start to care for the sick and the poor in our city. We will look for transformation in, in our city. I put a quote up earlier where John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins essentially says that when we pursue the, the justice for the city, when we carry out justice for the city, when we start to make transformations in the city, where things start to change, where people are fed, where people begin to be appropriately employed, employed so they can live, when people learn how to parent, when people... Uh, when people leave drug addiction, when people get uh, get classes in parenting and it starts to work in their home and their hearts home starts to be transformed, neighborhoods start to be transformed, right? So when neighborhoods are starting to be pulled out of out of out of poverty, when neighborhoods start to be pulled out of unemployment, underemployment, when neighborhoods start to push back against the effects of systematic racism that exists there, when that starts to happen in the neighborhood, what is happening is is that we are living in a way that reflects this passage and things start to change so that we start to be a reflection of the kingdom of God on, on earth, right? The kingdom is, 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 not, is, is now and it's not yet. There's coming a day when Jesus will return to this planet. He will be, he will be, he will be crowned. There'll be a coronation. There'll be a consummation of the kingdom. And yet at the same time, because the cross broke into the middle of human history, because Jesus overcame sin, death, and hell, because Jesus went to the grave, because Jesus walked out of the alive, he was declared, he was seen to be, we affirm that he is Lord, God, and King, and if he is King, he has a kingdom, and if he has a kingdom, the kingdom exists wherever his followers are, and even with the people that don't follow, so there's coming a time where God is going to crush every rebellion against him, and yet we live in a time where it says the only reason that God has not come yet to crush that rebellion, Second Peter says this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, but he is patient with you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is being patient, waiting so that people might come to repentance, waiting so people might, might, might discover him, waiting so people might know him. But in the interim, we who are his missionaries must be pursuing the well-being of our city, and the city should be transformed by that, because where Christians are, the kingdom is, and where the kingdom is, the behaviors of the kingdom are, and where the behaviors of the kingdom are, things should be transformed and changed. It is, it is a, a, a mundane thing on one thing to say your mission call is to live your life, but it is a deep thing to say the way you live your life as a follower of Jesus is as living as a literal outpost, a literal emissary, a literal ambassador of the kingdom of Christ in your community where you are, the kingdom has broken in, the kingdom is showing through, and it is our job as followers of Jesus, as everyday mundane missionaries, to spread the light to spread the footprint, to spread the influence of the kingdom. And so that happens when neighborhoods are, are, are transformed. There has been in history this, this argument, well, is that the social gospel? Are we focusing on the social gospel? I don't get these, these questions. They don't make sense to me. I will say this very simply. The ultimate goal that we have is that Christ might be most glorified. The most glorifying thing Christ does is rescue people through his blood. Rescue people from their sin and death of hell. The most glorious thing Christ has done is die for sins and rescue people through the truth of, of the gospel. And so we want our community, our neighborhood to come to and to experience and to know Jesus.
We want them to confess sins. We want them to leave that behind. We want them to confess Christ. We want them, them, them to move into a friendship as sons and daughters of God. That is our, our call. And yet the reality is, what is that gospel if that gospel has no impact in the life of the disciples? Right? If that is the gospel that Jesus has rescued people from sin, death, and hell, why then would we tolerate sin, death, and hell taking over our neighborhoods? If we are outposts of the kingdom, we should live in a way that says that ought not be. It is not the way of Jesus. It is not the way of Jesus to leave, to leave the small children hungry. It is not the way, way of Jesus to be hateful toward, towards immigrants. It's not the way of Jesus to scoff at the people who are addicted in the neighborhood. It's not the way of Jesus to see a prostitute being picked up on that corner right there near the church and to think and do nothing about it. That is not the way of Jesus. If we are kingdom people, we are disciples. And if we are disciples, then we live out the values of the kingdom. And the kingdom says, that ought not be. And the reality is this, this is what I was getting back to. As we live out the kingdom, as we disciple people into the kingdom, others are going to see, and frankly, uh, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is better than the kingdom of this world. That's why in 1 Peter, the kind of the a cognate passage to this one, 1 Peter, he says, live as elect exiles, do this, do this, do this, so that people will see and glorify God. Living out the kingdom of God will cause people to want to know your God. And so we're not going to get into arguments about, about whether something is social gospel. We want people to come to Jesus. But one of the ways we encourage people to come to Jesus is living like we know him. And that means to care for the sick. It means to care for the poor. It means to care for the elderly. It means to care for people of every color. It means to care for the immigrant, whether legal or illegal. We don't care. We're called to love. It means where there's hunger, we fight it. It means where there's strife, we come against it. It means where there's abuse, we stand up to it. It means where, where, there, where there's obvious social sin, we say this ought not be. Why? Because Jesus is king. Jesus is God. We are not predominantly Democrats. We are not predominantly Republicans. We are monarchists. We have a king. His name is Jesus. We are but, but visitors here. We have essentially been deported to America. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We ought to live like our king is king over this realm. And so wherever you are, you are an outpost of, of that kingdom. The world around you should be changed. It should be, it should be transformed. It should look different. Your neighbor ought not starve while you eat steak. Your neighbor ought not be abused while you watch Netflix. Your, the, the, the children ought not be shuffled from home to home and become orphans while you do nothing. That is not the way an everyday missionary who knows the king and is in the outpost of the kingdom behaves. When we behave and live like believers and when we pray, Lord God, show us the way for the city. The city, it says this, for when it thrives, you will thrive. By the way, that, that, that passage, that's affirmed to be true, right? And what, what the writer said, when he said, I believe it's plenty of the younger who said, who said, the Christians, we can't stomp them out because they care not only for their poor, they care for ours too. At the same time, the, 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 the bad guys in that story were going around killing Christians. They're trying to kill Christians, like physically, to wipe out Christianity. And more and more and more and more people kept getting saved. And he's like, we can't, we can't stop them. We kill them and they make more. We kill them and they make, what are we going to do? It, the reason why is this, is 
they, they were people who were praying for the good of their city. They were people who were pursuing the well-being of their city. And as they pursued the well-being of, of, of their city by caring for the poor, caring for the sick, more and more people wanted to be like them. So Christianity thrived. It exploded in a place where it's completely illegal, in a place where it was dangerous, in a place where you could be put to death for practice. And Christianity exploded. Why? Because they pursued the, the, they pursued the well-being of their city. They pursued the well-being of others. They prayed to the Lord on its behalf. And when the people that they, that they helped back to wellness began to thrive, Christianity itself thrived because it was an outpost of the, of the kingdom. We have uh, this. That leads to this. We're going to do, just a, we're going to challenge you this week to prayer walk. Right? So you live someplace. Wherever you live, we're going to challenge you to, to walk and to pray in that, that neighborhood. We like to do this, we do this, you know, every couple of years, but we just like to remember, God put you here for a reason. You live where you live for a reason. So here's a, it's a, um, it's a little sheet there in the back. We want to encourage you to just really challenge yourself this week to do the things on this list. And just every day this week, you can walk your neighborhood and pray. Pray for its well-being. Pray to the Lord on his behalf. When you see things, pray for them. When you see struggle, pray for it. When you see people, ask their name, get to know them, pray for those people. But just walk through your community and begin to pray. And then we'll come to, back together next week and, and we'll build upon that. But I think the beginning point of this is just to, get, is just to begin to pray, uh, to pray for the well-being of your city and ask God to show you how you would respond to it so that you might share him. Uh, so those are in the back. That's our challenge to you. You are a missionary. Every one of you fits this description. You are called to be a pursuer. But what that pursuit looks like might look different in all of our lives. And so the way we're going to discover this first is through praying for our city. May we be the people who pray for both our friends and our enemies so that when the city thrives, we might thrive, and I, I think again there, thrive in that sense means so that Jesus might be exalted, so that Jesus might be lifted up, so that his name might be known and confessed all over God and us. We don't need to increase, but oh, that he would, that his name would be proclaimed here. Pray with me.